Hello, you're listening to Meet the Locals, an insider's guide to British Airways destinations, where locals give you the lowdown on what to do, what to see and where to go in their city. My name's Heidi Fullerlove. Today we're going to meet the locals in the beautiful and exotic British Airways destination of Marrakesh in Morocco. But before we meet the locals, here are some fast facts. Fast fact number one, British Airways flies all year round from London Gatwick to Marrakesh in under four hours. Fast fact number two, Marrakesh is known as the Red City because of the reddish clay that covers most of its buildings. And fast fact number three, if you're looking for a unique way to get around Marrakesh, get on your bike. This is a fairly flat city and there's a new bike sharing scheme. It's called Medina Bike. You can hire a bike and visit most of the city sites. Did you know that Marrakesh makes an ideal base for exploring further afield too? From here it's easy to visit Berber nomads in the Atlas Mountains, ride camels in the desert or catch a few waves on the surfer-loved coast of Swara. British Airways has dozens of ideas for hotels and excursions, so pay a visit to their website to find out more. Between the Sahara Desert and the Atlas Mountains, Marrakesh has attracted celebrities for decades. From politician Winston Churchill, who liked to paint on the balcony of his room in the Mamounia Hotel, to French fashion designer Yves Saint Laurent, who loved Marrakesh so much he ended up buying a house here. And of course there are plenty of reasons to come to this city, celebrated for its souks where you can bargain for spices and perfumes, handmade rugs and babouche shoes, or where food too is a huge part of local culture. And then at night the city comes alive with belly dancers and snake charmers on Gemalfna Square. And then if you're looking for more modern entertainment, if you head for the area known as Hivernage, you'll find plenty of cool bars too. I start my Meet the Locals tour in the 12th century walled area known as the Medina where I meet the local guide who is going to give me an overview of this lively city. My whole name is Alawi Moulay Youssef. I was born and I grew up here. I know every single person in this city. <laughs> and everybody knows me. When you were little, you lived inside the Medina? Inside of the Medina, yes. So inside, what, deep in the Medina. What was your house like? Oh, huge, huge house. As I said, I'm seventh, eighth generation in this city. And the customs was kids used to live with their family, with their, fam- with their father, even when they get married. So my grandfather has all his kids around him when uh, he was alive. That's why, the, and just to tell you in between, I have myself about 33 uncle and aunts in between mom and my father. Uh, we were all, all of us living in the same house, I mean, uh, but there was nothing like today. So for, for example, today, uh, my kids, everyone has his own room and bath and everything. There was nothing we call mine when I was a kid. Our, there was only our. Our house, our room, our kitchen, our bed, our brothers, our uncles, our family, but nothing called my, my house, my room, my car, my nothing called mine at that time. Everything was ours. We used to share everything all together. We set out in dense Marakshi traffic, 
Horses trot by, their carts loaded with household objects. They jostle for a place on the crowded street with cars and bicycles and buses. So Marrakech is an old city. It's one of the four imperial cities of Morocco. It goes back to 11th century. It was built around 1062 by Yusuf ben Tashafin, the main king of the Almoravid dynasty. And myself, I was born and I grew up here. Of course, I like it, but it's still one of the best places where to be in Morocco. When we take Marrakech, Fes, Meknes, Rabat, uh, Tangier, Titwan, all the old cities in Morocco, all of them, they were made in a very specific style of architecture we call Moorish style or Moorish design. This center has always been the market. Then around the market, there was residential quarters, gardens and walls to protect the city. Also, we call always Islamic style, means that every street has a crying school, a mosque, a bakery, a steam bath, a public fountain, and the public facilities. Well, you know, we have, we have uh, many gates, and each gate has a name. And most of the time, the name has a meaning. When I say Bab Ghumat, the name of the tribe over there on the road to Urika Valley. There is a tribe called Rumat tribe and those people when they used to come to Marrakech they come through this gate the weekly market Bab Khmis there was every Thursday a weekly market and because of that market the gate get the name of Lakhmis which means Thursday uh, we have Bab Hmar because it's looking to Hmar the tribes we have Bab Dukala because it's looking to Dukala tribe we have Bab Jid, uh, which means the new gate that was open, has been open late, and we have Bab Dbar, which means the tannery, the gate to the tannery. So each gate has a name, and the name has all, each name has a meaning. Guide El Alawi takes me around the high walls plastered with red ochre clay that once protected the city. En route, he shows me a flea market, which is held on the streets every morning. As we whisk by, I see carpets laid on the ground. They're piled high with old clothes and washers and screws and false teeth and sunglasses. And Marrakech is divided into parts. There is the old section, we'll just talk about, and there is the new section. The new section was born only beginning of last century. You know that Morocco been protected by French from 1912 to 1956. And when French has come, they start making the first houses out of the walls the first street out of the walls called Mohammed the fifth street and around called Giliz. Giliz which is so far just transformation of the word l'église French word église and because Moroccans at that time speaks not French of course hard for them to pronounce l'église so this is the origin of the word Giliz in Arabic but Marrakech never stopped growing and growing up around all over the walls walls uh, first of all, the walls goes back to 11th and to 12, 11th and 12th century, and they're about 17 kilometers around. As we drive to our next destination, I ask El Alawi to tell me more about the Berbers. Originally, the Berbers are the first original people living in this country. So all the caravans has to stop out of the walls. They can't get into the city with their. Uh, dromedaries and horses and animals they had always to camp out of the walls nearby the river and because most of them they were from the Sahara from the desert main food has always been for the Saharian dates eating dates through in the nut that gives the palm groves and this part of Africa has always been called 
occupied by, by what we call today the Berbers. First of all, you need to know that that word Berber is just transformation of the word barbarian. The original name of the original people is the Amazigh. We call them in Moroccan dialect Lishluh. And the Amazigh of Morocco are divided in three main groups. We have the Berbers living north of Morocco, we have the Berbers living in the Atlas and Atlas center of Morocco, and we have the Berbers living south and southeast of Morocco. They are speaking three different languages. They don't understand each other and they don't look the same either. You go to the north of Morocco, the Berbers look exactly the same you. They're all blonde, blue eye, green eye, green uh, eye, golden hair, black hair, tall. Women look Swedish up there. We stop on a corner of the street and get out to stroll in the Majorelle garden. So uh, we call it Majorelle garden, Majorelle garden because it's been uh, created first by uh, Jacques Majorelle, the French painter, and it has been uh, sold late 70s to Yves Saint Laurent, the French designer. And if Salon divided into part, one part he keep it for his own uh, as a own private house, and one keep it open for the public. And because of what, all what he did for Marrakesh, this street where we are now is called Salon Street today. After he has died, the city hall, Marrakesh city hall, has given his name to this street in his memorial. Of course, even today, Marrakesh's wonderful warm climate and laid-back lifestyle is a magnet for celebrities. Elalawi tells me about the time he drove Francis Ford Coppola and his daughter around town. He tells me a few anecdotes about how he's met David Beckham countless times. And Elalawi tells me that his father even remembers when Mick Jagger came to town in the 60s. Our car rumbles on over uneven paving stones, past the walls dotted everywhere with wheel-sized nests of storks, as Elalawi tells me countless anecdotes. Finally, he drops me at Jemal Fnar, the city's main square. The square is just over there. It's a walking street. Here you got the Kutubia Tower, which used to be the highest minaret in Morocco until they just built Hassan II Mosque in Casablanca with its minaret, which makes 200 meters high. This is 65, but 65 from the 12th century. And this tower has twins, one in Rabat called Hassan Tower and one in Spain called the Khiralda. The three minarets were built by the same king, same time. And uh, just advice, the best way to discover the city is let yourself get lost. Just let yourself get lost. In Marrakesh, we don't get lost in, in reality. We turn around twice and we find our way. But that's one of the best ways to discover the city. Just let yourself get lost. Just keep walking. Taking his advice, I plunge into the Medina. At first, the narrow alleys and labyrinth streets are confusing, but if you have a good app or a good map, you soon find your way around. After a long, hot trek, I even found my way to the tanneries in the Babdebar quarter in the northern end of the Medina. I should have guessed what I was in for when I was given a bunch of strong-smelling mint. This one, the big tannery Berber, make it camel skin, camel coat leather. Other tannery Arab make it sheep leather, small skin. This one, my friends, come on. This, the lime, lime. Lime and leather make it 25 days outside. 
because in the line, make it soft leather, make it soft. After make it soft, after men make it wash the water. People outside make it colored leather. Come to see. In the early evening, Jamal Fna becomes a giant outdoor kitchen with street stands selling fresh orange juice and dozens of local food specialities ranging from kebabs to sheep's heads and snails. This is also the time when the snake charmers show off their pythons next to the women who give henna tattoos and the herbal doctors who are selling their bones and snake skins and dried lizards. After all that heat and dust, I'm happy to return to Riyadh Star, my charming Riyadh hotel in the Medina, where jazz-era star Josephine Baker once stayed, and where I'm going to enjoy a traditional hammam. A hammam is a steam room, similar to a Turkish bath, and it's an important part of Moroccan culture and life. My name is Raja, I work in the spa and I give the Moroccan massages. The traditional hammam is black soap and then a body scrub. And afterwards there's the massage, so you have a relaxing massage. There are also Ayurvedic massages, uh, slimming massages. There are all sorts of massages. I'm doused with pans of water and turned and turned again like a pancake and then seated on absolutely burning hot seats and then I'm scrubbed. The spa girl scrubs my skin and scrubs and scrubs and scrubs until I feel as clean as a whistle. It's certainly a vigorous treatment but afterwards I sleep like a baby. Marrakesh is a magical destination, so it seems fitting that the next morning I'm off to meet a prince, the Prince Ruspoli, who opened Marrakesh's first Riyadh hotel. I ask Prince Ruspoli how he came to live in Marrakesh. So, I'm Fabrizio Ruspoli. I'm the son of Mario Ruspoli, who was a famous filmmaker from Italy. Also had strong connections with Morocco in the past because my grandmother on my father's side uh, had a house in Tangier. So as a kid, uh, my brother and I, uh, we used to come and spend our summer holidays with our grandmother. So <laughs> I had my first Moroccan injections, I should say. <laughs> and uh, we'll always remember these funny people living in the Tangier uh, in, the, in the 50s because it's already a long time. I arrived in Morocco about uh, 25 years ago uh, and I decided to buy this place called La Maison Arabe. In those days, La Maison Arabe was a very, um, a very famous restaurant which had been uh, closed for 20 years when I arrived. And I will always remember, this is a funny story, uh, I was walking in the street, a very narrow street, it's called a derm here. And uh, I knocked the door and an old lady opened the door and she looked at me from top to bottom 
hand on the heap and asking me, what do you want? And I said, well, madame, I heard that maybe you would like to sell your house. And she looked at me again and she said to me, call me mademoiselle. And then uh, she let me in and we started discussing and uh, we made a deal and I bought the house from her. And that was the Maison Arabe as a restaurant in the late 40s closed for 20 years then I decided when I bought it to change it into a hotel first Riyadh hotel ever opened in Medina the idea was to show the people the travelers a new experience of the city people would come experience the Medina how people live in those streets here with the hustle and bustle of the Medina instead of being in the big hotels outside the city or very famous ones like the Mamounia for example so that was new. Uh, that time, that was in 1998 uh, when I opened the, the, the hotel. What was the attraction of Morocco? I mean, apart from the fact that you came here with your grandmother, um, what made you want to come here and stay? Because it's another thing to actually live here. Yes, uh, and it's not very well your question. Uh, there's something that you never realize when you are in a country, when you come to a country, uh, when you are a kid and you come regularly for your summer holidays, you don't realize that you have some new roots. Uh, and years and years later, I will uh, I um, realized that those roots were there deep inside my body, I would say. And then I decided to come again to Morocco for, uh, to Marrakech for the first time for a short holiday. And it was, I was quite fascinated by the, the Medina, those people walking, uh, you know, in the streets and all that. And I said, well, there's something, you know, that reminds me my old roots mm -hmm. somehow. And uh, I came again a few, a few months after that uh, weekend. And I met Madame La Rochette, who was the owner of the Maison Arabe. And I said, well, why not starting a new life here? This is uh, how it all happened. And no, it's not difficult because they have still this knowledge and uh, of how to work with their hands, and this is just wonderful. Mm. In the beginning, it was difficult for me because I mean it was first experience for me, doing redoing a house. I mean re redecorating and. Uh, Re rebuilding a house in the Medina, which is quite difficult because, as you have seen, the the streets are very narrow. Then, uh, when you do all the works, and uh, you have to take all the materials out of uh, those streets with the li little uh, carriages uh, uh, done by donkeys, and it takes a <laughs> long time, but it's charming. It's a very good experience, mm. and it of it's kind of. Uh, you know, family house, family home. You also did another first for Marrakesh, if not for Morocco, uh, by introducing cookery car. Uh, it was an Australian uh, guest here, and she said, well, I want to go to the kitchen and see how uh, the dada, pre the traditional cook, prepares the tagine. And then she came out and said, well, you should really do something for that, because lots of people are concerned and interested in, the, in cooking, and uh, you should uh, teach them uh, all those recipes it's how it started and we were the first one to start that kind of uh, cookery courses Prince Ruspoli, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right. Yeah, very well, Ruspoli yes, very well, thank you, thank you very much for interviewing me very nice to meet you At the Prince's invitation I head for the kitchen to try one of La Maison Arabe's famous cookery courses the kitchen is magnificent, with state-of-the-art facilities, including a video screen where I can follow the dada as she cooks. 
of the da of the dada. Here we have the dada yada, and dada here means a chef. Especially here for us in Lamizu Arab, dada means a chef. Okay. Salam alaikum. Salam. Salam nabat. Salam. Marhaba. Marhaba means welcome. So, would you like to start? For today, for this cooking class, he is specially cooking in less than one hour. So we're gonna cook a main dish, and the dish it is a tagine, and it is called chicken tagine with preserved lemon and olives. So it's a savory tagine, it's a non-sweet tagine, okay. And we're gonna be needing chicken. It's already slaughtered, no worries, <laughs> okay. Preserved lemon, it is preserved in salt. Uh, a slice, of, I mean, a, a part, a slice of onion. Parsley and coriander, herbs, these are the most used herbs in the Moroccan cuisine, garlic, and a few spices. We're gonna need three spices, turmeric, ginger, and pepper. The dish, it was, it was brought by the Berbers, same as couscous. For example, if you wanna prepare sweet tagine, you would add, for, for, I mean, in terms of spices, you would use those three spices, turmeric, ginger, and pepper, add them to it, Cinnamon and ras al-hanout. For example, a chicken tagine with caramelized apricots, or you can have a lamb tagine with uh, caramelized dried figs and walnut. Both ways. Making my mouth water. Yes, <laughs> and your stomach <laughs> hungrier, yeah. Okay, so first of all, we're going to take the preserved lemon skin from the bowl and separate the flesh from the skin using our thumbs. And so as to, to keep the skin one piece because we're gonna need it at the end. I have two garlic cloves, smash them with the knife. Yeah, smash them, peel them and chop them. So smash, peel and chop. Then we leave the clay cooking pot with a conical lid that's known as a tagine to cook over a low flame. Whilst my tagine bubbles on the stove, I learn to make real Moroccan tea. Okay, we'll add one or two wooden spoons of green tea to the pot. Then you add to it a glass of boiled water. The second step is that she's going to add another glass of boiled water to the green tea, but this time she must swirl the, the teapot or stir. And you will notice a big difference between the first glass and the second one in terms of color and taste. But the second glass is darker in color than the first one. Yes. And we get rid of the bitterness of the green tea. Bissaha. 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 Bon appetit. Or bon appetit, yes. We say bissaha if you want to drink light tea or you can drink a, a juice or something. Also, we say it if you, if you, if you want to start your, your meal or your dish. Later that evening, serenaded by a bubbling fountain and some of the world-class musicians who play regularly at La Maison Arabe, I have dinner. Delicious zalouk, a smoked aubergine dip seasoned with garlic, paprika, cumin and chilli, is followed by bestilla, 
This is paper-thin pastry stuffed with pigeon meat, almonds and eggs, and then spiced with saffron and cinnamon and fresh coriander. After a few days spent in Marrakech, I'm ready to explore. With the guide from La Safranière de Lorica, we head an hour's drive south of Marrakech to the Orica Valley, a green and fertile valley where saffron is grown. Standing in the shadow of the snow-capped High Atlas peaks, Orica is a green oasis and it feels like another world after Marrakech's lively streets. We have oranges, in mandarin, clementine, is kiwi, is exotic fruit, in Sharon fruit, khaki in mm. French. It's persimmon, big fruit like tomato. We have an olive, in kumquat, a small fruit like this. We eat with scant, the name kumquat. We have crabs, is walnut. We have an abricot. We have an uh, aromatic plant, yeah, mm. uh, the herbs, aromatic plant, in roses. After we have is three hectares safran, three hectares in the crocus. Mm. Safran is a crocus, special crocus, yeah? It's uh, in the boss, the garden, this is the Moroccan doctor, he lives in Casablanca. He producing the saffron here in 10 years, producing the good quality. He normally producing the saffron for, for women in the village for, for work here, for travail. Mm. Yeah? Normally only women for saffron. Ah. Yeah, it's delicate. Normally saffron is... And the flower uh, is delicate for yes. picking the saffron and before sunrise. It's delicate. Only women, 60 women in the village work here in November. The bulb and the saffron, like in the tulips, yeah? Like mm -hmm. tulip from, from India, Kashmir, original, yeah? In the capital with saffron in Agadir. Mm -hmm. Normally, 5 November, we have flowers. Crocus sativus. Yeah, you only violet. Color. In November is beautiful, eh? it's three hectares in violet like this. Well, more visitors come in here. It's Moroccan television, French television, BBC come in here. We have the good quality of product. We're picking just in the red saffron filament. Now in yellow. Like this, is 115 flowers. It gives just one gram saffron. And if you want to see the Orica saffron fields in bloom, you'll need to come to Marrakech. You've been listening to Meet the Locals and you'll find contact information for all the sites mentioned in the Meet the Locals fact sheet on British Airways' website. Thanks to David Mumford for the music. Goodbye from me, Heidi Fullerlove. Remember to look out for Meet the Locals' guides to other destinations on your next British Airways flight.